Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with uh, Michael Ricuti, a Philly transplant, uh, chocolatier extraordinaire, who was the first person that I actually hung out with when I moved here back in 96 at the farmer's market. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> a long it time was, ago. Uh, yeah. We tried not to get ourselves into too much trouble, but... We know, got ourselves in plenty of trouble. Yeah, you know, it was... Uh, it was <laughs> It's just how we roll on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. Remember, I remember the best The best one was Halloween when you and Peggy were dressed to the nines and had big, like, the big afros. The big afros. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were going to get kicked out of the yeah. market that day. Yeah, that wasn't good. No, it was but good. It was really good. It was but good, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. So... Michael, I want to, you know, there's so many folks who know your chocolate shop in the Ferry Building, you know, Recruity Confections, that you and Jackie have had in the building for how long now? It's about 15 years. And yeah. Recruity Confections has been open for? Since 97. But we developed the concept five years prior while we we're living in Vermont. But that's a whole nother backstory, which we could talk about later. <laughs> yeah. So I think what's really amazing is, is you know, when people come to town, you know, one of our things is we have a, a list here for folks when they come to town, a guest, and it's like, where should we go? And I always send them to the ferry building. And, you know, you guys are on the list to go to the shop and get chocolates. And it's funny when you walk through that building to see how many folks, literally, it's like the signature black bag with your name walking around. I mean, it's nonstop. It's funny. I've seen women use it for handbags. No, you don't. Yeah, it was really cool. Jackie and I were walking down the street, and this woman had like her little handbag. She had a little umbrella in it, and she had like, she had her little makeup bag in it. And Jackie's like, "That is so cool." She goes, "I'm gonna have to start doing that." But Why it was not? Like the small one. It was the small one, you know, like the one I gave you right here. It's like that's the one. That's a handbag style. This is a handbag style. Yeah, so, so what are you you're telling me that so I need? So it's multi-purpose. Yeah. So I need to use this so as this a handbag. Could, that now. could be your man bag. My yeah. man bag. Yeah. I got a man bag now. Exactly. Yeah. So, you grew up in Philly. Yeah. Right. You're. Old school Italian, like like I grew up. So I mean, that was pretty much the funniest start. Like that's how we kind of that whole connection started. Talking about old old school Italian American food and looking at things and tasting and hanging out and cooking together. But you started there. How did you like? Well, what's like, what's my trajectory? Yeah. What was your trajectory? How did you say like you know what I'm gonna make? beautiful chocolates or or the most incredible pate de fouille i mean i remember the day you got your new drage machine it was like i thought you were going to be drageing ball bearings and right. screws and everything you threw I, everything I in threw there for a while yeah yeah it's like toss anything in there see what comes out you it know was, just coat it with chocolate it was awesome yeah so like what made you say like i want to be willy wonka well i i mean like when when i probably as like a little boy probably like four or five my grandmother's from Northern Italy <clears throat> and she, um, she had, uh, she used to bake and she baked when she was in Italy, but she baked while she was living with us in the United States. And she was always at our house baking and making things. And, uh, so in order for us to taste anything that she made, you had to participate. So like I was, that's always, cool. Yeah. So I was always the one that like, like helped her out because you couldn't like lick the, lick the batter or taste the cookie dough or, you know, like taste a part of cake before it's finished. You have to help with the cake. And like we would make pizza, we'd make pasta. So we would make all sorts of things. But um, she had a friend up the street that was a chocolate maker, uh, also an Italian woman. Her name was Marie. It was named Marie's Chocolates. 
And so she used to send me to like hang out with her. So I'd like polish chocolate molds and learn how to like melt chocolate and not understand it on a really deep level. But it was like I thought it was really cool. And how old were you then? I was like six, seven. See, that's like so. And that was subliminal for me. I didn't know. I still didn't know I was going to be into chocolate. I just thought. But it was that's cool. so cool to think about that as like a mm-hmm. six-year-old kid, and you're like, oh, we're going to go down to Marie's, Auntie Marie's, and I'm going to go polish chocolate molds which i'm sure right. you thought was like because you knew the payment was you were getting chocolate exactly you're you getting take, candy and there you could like taste it and like you know she would turn her back you like stick your finger and taste the taste the filling or whatever <laughs> so it's like this big pot of filling you're like oh my god i've never seen so much like liquid chocolate in my life i'm gonna like eat this whole thing it's like i want to just smear it all over my face but i didn't but you know she was pretty disciplined as well so she made sure i didn't like go completely out of control but you know it's not like right now where everything's much more structured. Oh yeah, you know, in our lives. Yeah, there were know. no latex gloves back then. Right, right, right. Hair there's, nets, hair nets. No hassup, no nothing. Yeah. You know, different world. Right. We're still alive though. You know, that's we the are. thing. We should tell people that it's like you know, with all these systems and controls, it's like Chris, myself, and all the people that we work with. It's like maybe we did things a little bit like off, but we weren't like trying to kill people. No. And we still are. It's like, that's not like, that's not like, you know, we have some sort of like ethics when it comes to cleanliness. Well, perfect example, I think, that you just made. It's like, we're all still alive. There are more allergens and serious food health issues now Yeah, with all these like hand sanitizers and all these things put into play every day now, like latex gloves. There's latex allergies. There's all these things that have basically transpired since all these mandatory HACCPs, latex gloves, hand sanitizers that didn't exist when we were kids. Think about that. Well, I mean, I think the problem is we're working too cleanly. We're, 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 we're way too clean. Like, you know, if you go into, you know, if you go onto like a Metro stop or if you go into Whole Foods or wherever and you, you, they always have some way you could like sanitize your hands. It's like you need to get some of those germs in your system. Michael Pollan talks about that and like with gut. And he talks about like get out in the garden, get like, get like you know manure under your fingernails, rub it into your eyeballs. You know you need like you know he's not yeah. saying like contaminate yourself, but you know you need. To, we did that as kids. Oh yeah, we had and dirt now, camp. Like kids are like you know they like they like you know sanitize them before they go out. They like well you perfect know, example. And I think that's where they're getting allergies. This is us just this thinking. us thinking, but I think well perfect example. How many parents have you seen that take the that liquid sanitizer and rub their kids' hands, right? Yeah. What do children do when they're babies? Put their hands in their mouth. They put their hands in their mouth. So they're ingesting sanitizer that is killing the flora in their system and their guts, which is not allowing them to be able to digest foods anymore. It's a really good observation. I mean, this is something I watch. I watched this woman the other day, and it's flavored. The stuff smells, right? It smells like... like uh, flowers or surprise you know, like sanitizer in those little squishy bottles yeah and you just squeeze but it in your mouth i watched this mom rub this little kid's hand and the mom turned around the kid just whole fist in mouth i'm like well we know where that we know where that hand sanitizer is going right he's sanitizing his insides that's true like yeah you just get rid of all your flora all your gut and then then we have all the good stuff that all the good you. stuff and then now these kids are allergic to everything mm-hmm. i feel bad mm-hmm. i i mean i'm like I asked my son, what can I send you to school with today? He's like, uh, <laughs> right. Okay. That's a good answer. We'll send you with an apple. <laughs> Are right. there kids allergic to those too now? So back, we'll backtrack to it. So you're, you're working with, you know, down at the chocolate shop at six. I mean, 
did that lead to more or was it just hanging out there and hanging out with your grandmother? I was always kind of working with them. Uh, we also had a, uh, we had to spend summers in the, in Jersey, in New, in New Jersey. And we, my grandparents lived in this little town called Port Monmouth, which is like really funky little town. It was on the bay. It wasn't actually on the ocean. Uh, it was near Sandy Hook, uh, it was near Asbury Park, all those areas. So we would spend like three months down there, but we had to like garden, we had to make, we made a lot of pasta, but we had all our pasta and we dried it. She wasn't in, she didn't believe in fresh pasta. She was like, she thought it got too hydrated. Um, so she liked it dry. So then she, when she cooked it, it just, that was just her, her style. And then we would like make jar up tomato sauce and we would make cakes and all sorts of funny things. What region of Italy was she from? Because that's a pretty southern thought process to always dry it, because always the kind of well, the she's, moisture. She's she's, I mean, basically she's the, the family's from like they're more Abruzzo, you know. Okay. So Abruzzo, so that's where like the wheat the wheat field is. That's where, that's where like the Checo and all these pasta companies came from. You know, there's a lot of potatoes there. So that's her main area. And then our other cousins are uh, um, when my grandmother remarried. Um, they're all from the north, from Trieste. And that's the one, they're the Italians that I knew more than the ones further down south um, when I would go to visit, you know, and they're different. They, awesome. like, they like eat, they don't eat red sauce. You know, they eat a lot of salads. You know, they're more fair complected. You know, it's just there because they have more of the Austrian, everything's kind of working its way through or, you know, Sardinia, that whole area. Wow. They're really close to all of that. So, that's cool. So we got like you got a good taste of that, but I didn't know that. I didn't experience any of that until I was an adult. I never been to Europe, you know, as a kid. So I was like Europe was through or was through my grandmother's eyes or my Italian relatives. Which is it's pretty amazing <clears throat> when you think about that that American Italian vision of coming to the states, trying to make the foods of home with what was here henceforth the changing of all the dishes that we now look at like we talk about red sauce italian that right. we grew up with or if it's gravy or sauce you know yeah like that's yeah that's okay so let's 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 what was your idea of gravy gravy was red sauce red sauce sunday gravy was tomato just cooked all day on yeah. sundays yeah 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 that's exactly what i grew up with but there are other people out there who will argue with me saying that's a meat sauce made on exactly sunday. Which is not true. We would sear like the meatballs in a cast iron pan. And then simmer them in the tomato sauce. And simmer, simmer in the tomato sauce. It yeah. was awesome. You know, maybe some sausage in there and everything oh, else. Yeah. And then you just like fish them out, put them on the plate, use the gravy like over spaghetti. And we used to have this one disc called uh, called Johnny Marzetti, which was like, it's like a, it's like the, the it's like the casserole train wreck when every family has them, <laughs> you know. So like ours was called Johnny Marzetti, and it was like whatever my mother had left, she would like throw in a casserole and put it in the oven and put breadcrumbs on top of it and like serve it. And it's like, it's like what are we having? We're having Johnny Marzetti. I was like, well, who is Johnny Marzetti? <laughs> I don't even. I still in the state don't know who Johnny Marzetti is. That is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's like what does that mean? It was a train wreck of a guy that like tried to date your mom yeah. in high school or something something <laughs> it's just like bizarre and like to this day i'm mystified John. someday maybe i'll meet a johnny marzetti and i'm like you know what you yeah. tasted really good when we <laughs> right. had you with this sausage and meatballs <laughs> but so when she threw the tuna in there it really stung. Yeah, i didn't like that one as much yeah i like the sausage or the meatballs yeah that's so funny but um but that's yeah that's the same thing it's like hearing that and then the comparative of sunday gravy is meat i it wasn't a braised meat sauce when i was a kid sunday gravy was 
you made tomato sauce for the whole week on Sunday. Right. Because you started it, you covered the pot and it simmered when you went to church. And you came back. You know, everything was prepped the night before. You started it, you left for church, it simmered gently all day, and then you had it for the week. Yeah, and we would make like we would we would make uh these pizzas that were thick, you know, like Tomato uh, pie. Yeah, tomato pie. So we would make a ton of those and we like bake them off and then we cut them up into like rectangles and then they would go in the freezer. We had like six freezers at, at my grandma. You know, it's like everything. I don't know what she was preparing herself for. But, you know, then like when people come over, she could like break it all out and like have a, a fun party because they were always in the feeding people. So <laughs> it's like you always had food, like you never ran out of food. So you're always like more building, more tomato building, pie was building a thing. stock. Yeah. yeah. Slabs of tomato. And I think. What's uh we have that focaccia spot here, which everybody talks about in North Beach, which is Liguria, Liguria, yeah, which is the closest thing I've ever had with the cut scallions and the yeah. tomato baked in it. That's that's nice. Yeah, yeah. it was like classic. Uh huh. And now people are calling it uh, Sicilian pizza or something like that, like that slab. Yeah, yeah, like Roman style pizza, Roman like style a slab. Yeah, and you like buy it by the by the Pound, kilo. Or, yeah, yeah, and they tie it up in a little they wax paper and they tie it up in a little. Which is awesome. Ribbon, yeah. But it's a different style. People don't yeah. understand that. And I think that's more along the lines of where the Chicago-style pizza got its right. thing. like deep dish. Was from that. I, and that's what I love. And like Neapolitan pizza is Neapolitan pizza because it's from that. That's the style they did there. And then you got the New York style, which is an amalgamation of a bunch. Which I love it. There's little skinny crusts where you have to fold it up and try to figure out how to get it in your mouth. Before you wear it hot. Yeah, yeah. Hot, yeah, you get that, hot cheese down your, you get that down big, your neck. You get that big raging hot piece of cheese on your on your yeah it's not good <laughs> no it's never yeah. good but we've all done it mm -hmm. you know it's like two o'clock in the morning out there for a slice and right you're like, oh god that's bad yeah so you know you're 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 in philly you're all of a sudden what what is that moment where you decide okay i'm diving deep into the kitchen i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna be i think once i was old enough to like you know, my father owned three grocery stores. So like I was working in his grocery stores and, and doing that. And then, so I was always around food. So then like when I got to the point where I could actually work in a place, like a restaurant. You mean legally? Yeah, well I didn't do it legally. <laughs> I think 14, I started working at Overbrook Barson's, which was a deli, a Jewish deli up the street from me. And I would like, but like it was all being around all these Jewish people and making all this cool food that I had no idea what it was about. So it was really fun to make it. And like, you know, and then I like, and then I worked there for a while. And then, um, and then I just started working in different restaurants in Philadelphia in the city uh, when I was like 17, 18, 19, and just really started like working in bakeries and working in pastry and really understanding what I was about. But I always went back to, I always, I would always focus on chocolate like things made out of chocolate. If it was a chocolate cake, if it was a chocolate decoration, if it was a chocolate cheesecake, if it was a, you know, a chocolate custard. I was like, I love chocolate. So I just kind of, I was baking for the first kind of 10, 15 years of my life. But then I, I, I continued to focus on all things chocolate. And then um, I believe once I started, real, I realized that like there wasn't anything cool, like any interesting chocolate like you would taste in Europe. Um, I realized that I could, you know, I should try to make, start figuring out how to make it. And it's really challenging because there was no books out on it. Like no one wants to talk about it. Like no Google. French, yeah. No Google. The, you know, the, the French chefs were like, they, it was a big secret for them and they didn't really want to share everything with you, you know, and cause they felt as though like, you know what, they're the talent, they're the talent. I'm just learning. 
And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it different anyway. I think that's the thing. I think it's like it's like yourself. You, you've always been sharing things with people. You know, you know. You I mean do that's that. the goal. Yeah, you want you 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 educate people. You try to empower people. Also, like if you're a boss, you want to make sure that they understand what they're doing, and you didn't leave anything out. And you want them to do it. And also it gives you some free time, too. Yeah, <laughs> a little, bre- little breathing room. But. <laughs> but, I mean, you've always been that way. And I think that that's, you know, it's nice when you start, like, meeting people like that um, in, you know, in your life. You know, when I was working in Philadelphia, um, Coco Barry in the, like, 78, 79, 80, moved into Pensacola, New Jersey and opened up a, a baking school to teach people a pastry school, teach people about chocolate and pastry. And so I, I started working there um, for free. I was like cleaning the floors, washing dishes. And then every once in a while, they like, they say, hey, you want to come over here and we'll show you how to work with this chocolate or you want to help us with the enrober. We'll teach you how to use a guitar. So I started learning how to use all these things they do in Europe um, because they, they, they knew that I wasn't going to go away. I was like this kid that was like, just like. But see, you just said something I think that's really, really important. Like you wanted it and you figured out a way to get it. Right. Okay. And I think that there's a disconnect. I talk about this a lot with a, a lot of people in our age, in our age group, in our experience and from past, we didn't have Google. There was no such thing as a mobile phone. We didn't have, we had encyclopedia Britannica. We had our culinaire and we maybe had food arts magazine, right? Mm-hmm. To get information, we had to seek it out. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard to figure out techniques because there unless wasn't you a, work with people. Unless you work with people. There was no YouTube video. Yeah. There was nothing. I mean, we had squat. So right. if you wanted it, you had to stage. Yeah. You had to work for free. Yeah. You had to volunteer to find somebody that would, half the time, they wouldn't even let you in the door. Right? Yeah. They would be like, Absolutely. no way. No yeah. way. You can't come in. So you would go and wash dishes and clean the floor at Coco Berry, who is a massive, massive right. educational opportunity just for them to teach you. And I mean, you come from Coco Berry, that's a big deal because they were the big egg then. They were like the monster at that time. Right, right. I mean, you know, that's, it, and, and, you know, like the, the people that work there were just, the, I think once someone understands that you're really interested, you know, like I would have some of the chefs, like when Bellaway would come into town from France to teach pulled sugar, I was like so into pulled sugar and sugar pulling and sugar work. He would like actually come over to my apartment in Philadelphia and like hang out and pull sugar with me. And I always had a 50 pound bag of sugar in my apartment, in my kitchen. And everybody <laughs> thought I, people thought I was like nuts. They're like, what's up with all this sugar? It's like, because at any moment I would be like, let's, let's pull some sugar, man. Like who's showing up. Yeah. Or like, you know, when you want to, like, and he would, we would just sit there together. He have a cigarette dangling, dangling out of his mouth and he'd show me how to make roses or like, you know, hand blow like little penguins or anything. So like, you know, the next morning, some of my, some of my friends would come over and they see like the whole table full of like 50 penguins out of sugar. They're like, what are you doing? You're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing. I'm just learning. You have to just keep on doing it. It's repetition. You have to muscle memory, passion. When I was in culinary school, they would want us to learn how to pipe. Right. Mm -hmm. So everybody would. This is Johnson and Wales. Johnson and Wales. You would literally go to the store and you would buy, tons of toothpaste you would buy like the oh, cheapest really? cheapest toothpaste had, had the consistency to pipe happy you had to be able to write your name in one consecutive wow. to pass the pastry class so i was like oh shit my name's long it's not like it was like ben hall 
right you know right, that's right. easy <laughs> it was like you had to write your full name as it was on your name tag so of course they put christopher cosin so i'm like jesus christ here we go like pay pay you know 20 tubes of toothpaste later you finally figure out how to do it it's like you have to learn somehow and like you said practice yeah like making that many penguins i mean yeah and i just you still have all your teeth i do yeah it's amazing <laughs> with all that sugar. i only have one cavity some people don't get cavities yeah i know i'm lucky because uh you know i just i'm not really into going to the dentist but you know i do go but uh, yeah my teeth have hang, hung in there you know so in philly you know and you're doing these things and you're you know you're volunteering at coco berry did you you know, was there a restaurant that kind of changed the course for you? Was there an opportunity? Well, there was, I think that, yeah, there was. I mean, so when I first started working in Philadelphia, I worked at um, a restaurant called the Commiss the Frog and the Commissary. It was owned by Stephen Poses. And he was like this guy that like, you know, spent like a bunch of years in the Peace Corps and then like really got turned on by food in different parts of the world. And when he moved back to Philadelphia, he just realized that it wasn't really happening as much. So he like brought all these different people in from different parts of the world, you know, from Africa, from Vietnam, from from Thailand. Um, and they were like employees of his and they would all share like certain, certain types of dishes. But he also had a very strong baking program. And so uh, I started working there um, in their baking department, you know, just cranking out whatever it is they made for their, all of their restaurants. And he, had, he ended up having like five or six restaurants. So I was doing that, but then I was like, I was stodging at another restaurant for free, uh, which was called Deja Vu. And there was a French chef there that I really wanted to work with. So we work all day at this one restaurant and then I go to work for a, for a whole nother shift for free at another restaurant to work with this other guy. And, you know, you do things like that. And then it, after that, what opened up for me was, is that I ended up working at Lebec Fan in Philadelphia. So I worked there for a while to, um, with all these French people, there wasn't many Americans kicking around or it was a bunch of Haitian dudes because they spoke French. So and, for uh, everybody, there's a lot of folks out there who have no idea. Lebec Fed. I mean, can tell everybody who George is uh, Perrier and the intensity. Yeah. And I mean, I like to say that he was part of the 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 gang, which was Michel Richard, Jean-Louis Paladin, you know. Right. Like he's like Andre Saltner, George Perrier. It's like. Paul Bocuse, like all those guys, they're all like of that same Earth. kind of like, you know, and so he was, George Perrier opened up Lebec Fan like 40 years ago um, in Philadelphia in a small restaurant. Um, currently at that restaurant now is where Vetri is. Um, that's right. So it's on Spruce Street. And so that's where I originally worked was at that small place. So that's really aging myself because um, from there he moved to a much larger space on Walnut Street in Philadelphia, which is maybe about seven or eight blocks away and he you know had a bar and he had like you know a whole bakery set up and it was really cool and private dining rooms he didn't have that much space as much space at the space where uh, vetri is currently and then um so i started working there in the baking program and you know we had to redo the pastry cart every day regardless of the quality he was like really fussy about like every dessert on that cart like had to go you either took it home or it goes in the trash He's just like, he wants it fresh stuff every day. And there was like 25 different desserts on that cart. So you're so, talking to Garadon push to the table where yes, guests could choose. Yeah. So we had to do that every day. But George Perrier is like, started this restaurant like 40 years ago. He's from Lyon. He has really kind of like intense, rigorous training. I'm sure he's gotten himself 
beaten up a lot. And so he liked to push, he'd like to kind of express that onto his, people working in the kitchen. But for some reason, he left me alone. I don't know why. You know, I think he knew I knew what he was doing, and he really didn't bother pastry as much as he did his cooks. He was really on his cooks, you know. He would just get a little crazy. So this guy's like four foot, I don't know, 10 or four foot 11. He's a little dude. And uh, he would just come in there, but he just felt like he was like, you know, six foot six, you know. I mean, he was a monster. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard stories. And, uh, you know, he just, he, when George showed up, it's like everybody, everybody was just like, yes, chef, heads down. Um, you get to work. And um, they just did a big documentary on him. Yeah. Uh, King George. King George. Yeah. Yeah. It's I hear brilliant. it's I hear it's brilliant. Yeah. It's really good. He just did last year. He did a pop up at uh, Vetri. They basically took down the Vetri sign and put back up the original sign. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, he's were you, were you you were the one who told me about the uh, the 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 moose incident, right? Where he took the top off the Roboku. Was it right? He caught his fingers caught. I wasn't there when that actually happened, but I mean, he cut, he used to take his fingers off the, he used to remove the lid from the Robocoup and put a, like a, a fork where the safety was to keep the blades running. So he could go in there and he would just have a scraper with his hand and scrape it while he's like making a moose. If it was like a scallop moose, he used to have this really famous dish at Lebeck Fan was like this, this uh, crab cake made with like scallop mousse and crabs. And he would fold like a Bernays sauce into it and stuff. It was really good. And you fry it on both sides and then you, then you eat it. It was fantastic. But that's what he, that's that, that particular dish was the one that got him. I and mean, he's been doing it for like 30 years. And you know, it's unfortunate. He, um, he didn't lose his fingers though. I, for some reason they just like, they were able to kind of make them come yeah, back. I don't think they're functioning as well, but I mean, he's pretty old now. He's probably in his close to 80. Yeah. He's, but I mean, I remember getting his book. I mean, the cover of his book had him with his, with his chef's toque on. Yeah. And the medallion from Leon around his neck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's no joke. Yeah, he was he was really cool. I mean, you know, I, I had a lot of respect for him. I think some people were really scared of him, but he you know, like when he when he I think when they realize you can work, it's kinda like Jean Louis that you worked for. I mean, yeah. once they know that you're like you're in it, yeah, you know, they'll they're hard on you, but you know, they know that you're gonna like They're keep hard on, going. on you because they care. Right. Like I think if it, you're either gone or you stay, you, you either leave or you stay. And if you stay, that means they're hard on you because they want you to be better. But like, if they really don't want you around, you're not good. They're just, you're gone. Yeah. You're or they gone. don't even, yeah, they let you hang yourself you might, basically you, with yeah, mistakes. Yeah, you might be there for like a day or two. I mean, I've seen people, I've, it's like a rotating door at Lebec Fan. You know, people want to come walk work at Lebec Fan and hang out. It's like, you know, you don't hang out. <laughs> you're like full throttle. Working. Yeah, you come in and you work and you're like, boom, 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 boom. And then you go home or you leave, you do whatever. It's a different time. Yeah. And, I, and you learn a lot because you just it's like you work with talented people and everybody's just really busy. And it's just like you're doing the thing. You might work on one thing for a long time. I think that's what people I think the thing when in our chocolate in our kitchen. So we have a kitchen in dog patch and, you know, we you know, we run these enrobing machines and we're sometimes we're enrobing like 50,000 pieces of chocolate. And, you know, people like they get when someone says they're bored or they get tired of it or they like want to do something different or they know how to do it. It's like you just got to keep on doing it. Like it, to me, it's always it always gets you always learn something. Like now we're we're candying orange peel, so we do four cases once a week. So we fillet the oranges, we blanch them three times, hot boiling water, ice, boiling water, ice, boiling water, ice, boiling water, ice, and then we cook them in sugar for like a two days. Then they have to then we have to hand cut each one to a specific size to fit into the chocolate box. 
And I always say to my staff, it's like, this is the perfect opportunity for you to like, like develop like the baddest, the most intense knife skills. And what's their response? They're like, well, I'm like, just be better at a knife. Like do it, do it faster, be better at a knife, really learn how to really learn how to work with a knife. I said, this is your opportunity to learn how to sharpen a knife, learn how to like work on a board, learn how to cut things like, how, you know, and you just, you'll, it'll, it'll translate into everything else in your life. If you decide you want to be in this business, <laughs> it's it's really interesting you brought up about people saying um, I'm bored or no, I feel I, like I need to learn I the just, next that thing. Board's not in my. I just don't understand that. I, I'm I'm I hear that a lot, uh, and you know, you you just watch me break down these chickens for this new these new dishes we're working out, and it's like it, when I started. But how many chickens have you broken down when you think about it? But I still want to be better. Like it used to be a game who could butcher the chickens better and faster, right? Who could keep all the skin on perfectly? Who could get the oyster off? You know, right. You say the chicken oyster. Some people look at you like you got a hole in your head. Like, I think it's, it's been a saying you're bored means you don't care. Exactly. It's about being better every day. And it's yeah. like, I'm far from perfect. If I, I mean, if I was perfect, well, that'd be pretty impressive, you know, but we're not. None of us are. I think it's just discipline. I mean, like I played music for a good part of my life, you know, and I still do. And and like I had to practice every day. So I had to practice like every single day. You do the same thing over. You repeat. I play drums. You play the same beats over and over and over and over again. And then eventually you play them a little bit faster. But like I would always treat that same philosophy as I would with the, in the kitchen, you know, like. For example, like we run this in Rober, it's this machine that you basically pass like uncoated pieces of chocolate, which we call ganache, um, through this curtain of chocolate on a conveyor belt, and then they get, and then the chocolate gets transferred to a, a larger belt that goes through a cooling tunnel. So if you're like there working, the machine is like running off of a specific time, a specific meter, like a beat. And like, if you miss that beat, you're gonna like not catch, you're gonna like lose yourself. You know, it's like a drummer playing in a band. Like if you lose that beat, you're gonna throw the whole band off. Um, so like when they lose their beat, you know, like don't try to catch up to the beat you lost. Just, just pick up on the next beat. So how I got people to think about that was I've set up a metronome there. And I said, okay, this machine always stays on time. Okay, you ready? Okay, it's two, four. Four, four, whatever. Like we're gonna let's go. And like, if you miss that beat, just let that beat go and get the pick up on the next beat. It's very much like playing music, you know. For me, for what we do, you know, you don't cutting chickens. You might not miss that beat. You know, don't cut your fingers off or whatever. But uh, that happens too. Yeah, be careful. You know, don't you know? Try to work fast, but at the same time, work safely. Right? It's efficiency. It's it's a, you know, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Like no one's saying you're not working hard, but right. if you work intelligently, you'll be more apt to get more done in a better quality. Exactly. And I think that's been a, it's a hard thing to, you know, we're in a world of a new world, like we said earlier, like Google, you know, like remember when we would make fun of somebody who knew all the stuff, it'd be like, oh yeah, Encyclopedia, what are you, Encyclopedia Britannica? What do you call somebody now, Mr. Google? Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, really. Like they know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like a walking thesaurus or anything. Yeah. Like but that or. doesn't exist anymore because everything's available on your phone. Exactly. So I think it's it's really about like educating and pushing and driving for the hands on. You can read as much or Google as much or YouTube as much as you want. But the physical 
aspect of doing it and working mm-hmm. it and touching it and doing it over and over again, I feel is far superior to that. Yeah. I mean, we all, trust me, I mean, you've, you have the same amount of cookbooks that I do. It's ridiculous, you know, what we learned from. And, but those are inspirational tools and guidelines to get us to the next step where then we start practicing, tweaking, learning, testing. Right. Absolutely. I mean, how many times have you changed a recipe for a ganache to get it to be what you want or a chocolate to get it to be what you want? Not, not as frequently as you think, but like, I always look at systems and then change. So like currently I'm just changing a lot of systems at work. So like maybe I wasn't in the kitchen as I have been in the previous years. And, but this past holiday season, I was in the kitchen every day and I saw a lot of things. Team's amazing. They're, they work great. They're laser focused, but there's just some, you know, you, 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 you're like, wow, we, let's find a different way to do that. That's faster some efficiencies and making yeah. it easier on the team yeah like, yeah like why do you have to wash molds every day which and then why do we have to dry them and why do we have to polish them you know what is there another way we can do it let's think about it and there's sometimes there's a little pushback but now they're seeing results and it makes them feel good it's like oh my god we're saving like we're shaving off all this time we're not changing the quality but we're shaving off all this time but it allows us it allows us allows you whoever have more time to introduce something new it's like you know what? We're spending so much time doing what we're doing. If we can save some hours, we, you know, I can show you something new or we can introduce something new. So maybe you won't be as bored. <laughs> I love how you do that with the air parentheses. Yeah. As yeah. bored. You know, <laughs> our staff's good though. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty solid, but you know, you, you do get some people to come through. They, they well, they think it. that they're going to be like, I'm going to go and work for Michael and I'm going to learn all his tricks. And he's going to show me everything immediately. They might be cutting orange peel for like a week. You know? like <laughs> well, that's stand- it. It's production. Right. Well, that's the funny thing. Like when we had Bogolone, people would be like, oh, I want to come over and make salami. I'm like, okay, get ready. And then literally it's like seaming out muscles for hours. And Stephen, you know, Stephen Pocock, who was our plant manager, mm-hmm. you know, in, would call me and be like, yeah, that guy lasted two hours. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, sorry, dude. He's like, no, it's you. You tried. <laughs> right. They all think it's like glorified and it's. Right. It's. It's different. Yeah. It's hard work. I it, mean, you know, and it's physically difficult. I know with your, with especially that, with Bocalone, you know, there's a lot of physicality because things are heavier. They come in cases. And like with chocolate, everything's like 40 pounds. We always say to people, it's like you have to wear comfortable shoes and be able to lift like 40 to 50 pounds all the time because chocolate's just dense and weighty. It's like working with concrete. Yeah, so sugar, the yeah. same thing with bags bakers. Of sugar, a bag fifty of sugar. pound bag of flour. You know, it's the same. Yeah, so you know, you know, it's really important for them to understand that that like, that's all just part of what we do every day. So, you had Rakuti open prior to being in the building, right in the Ferry Building. You guys were doing chocolates. You were selling and distributing, and what? Like, what was the first product you guys made? What was the first thing that you launched with? Like, what was your original launch? Hey, this is going to be our... And how did you make that decision? Because that's not easy. It's like, this is our initial. It's got to be the best. Like, how do you I had like a collection, like an original collection of eight pieces that like... So like, just to kind of like back reverse, um, you know, rewind a little bit, I... Jackie and I moved out of San Francisco, my wife, who's my business partner. Um, and I couldn't have done this business without her, you know, 
she's really taking it for the team. Um, she, we moved from San Francisco in 90 to uh, Vermont. And then I was teaching second year pastry at New, New England Culinary Institute for a year. And then from there, we opened up a boutique resort. But the people that own the boutique, the people that were managing the boutique resort wanted to know, they said, what do you, what did you like to do in five years? I said, I want to move back to San Francisco and open up a chocolate company. And they said, great, well, we'll, you know, we'd be happy to help you kind of realize your dreams. If you give us five years, we'll. we'll that's incredible. You. Cause yeah. that's, that's a big. I mean, when people ask you what you do, you, am I going to be here for like the rest of my life? No. So, okay, well, I'm going to be honest about it. It's like, this is what I want to do. That's awesome. And, uh, and, and so we started, we were able to kind of test products and make little boxes of chocolates and give them to guests for amenities or in their room. Oh, that's and, beautiful. And so you, you get a sense of like what people like, what they don't like. So, I, so what happened was is that first eight pieces of chocolate really evolved from me having people taste them and what they, what people responded to positively. So that's where that first kind of eight piece box came from when you asked me that question, like, what's the first thing you did? So I did like first, the first eight flavors, you know, which was, um, you know, sesame, Kona, bergamot tea, you know, all those types of flavors. We did a lot of herb infused and tea flavors, um, straight up dark chocolate, um, and uh, burnt sugar chocolate. So we did, we did those flavors. And then the only other thing we did was we did a uh, sliced, uh, marinated, pears and, and key lime juice and sugar. And then we basically sliced pear really thin, fresh pear that was green, not ripe, really hard, sliced it thin and then marinated it in key lime juice and sugar for like a day or so. And then we would remove them and place them on little mats. We call them seal pat mats, or you can do parchment paper. And we would dry them in the oven for like two hours. And then we would dip them in dark chocolate. So we had these key lime pears, and then we had the box of eight chocolates. And then we just, then we came out with the orange peel, the candied orange peel. Yep. So we had a little bag of candied orange peel, a little bag of key lime pears, and the eight-piece box of chocolate. And then so, that, that's mm-hmm. where I met Michael, at the farmer's market. So then I started selling at the farmer's market on Green Street, which was down the street um, north of the ferry building, like about, I don't know, three-quarters of a mile. Yeah. It was in a parking lot. So it's like literally the, in a park. So on this weekend and then Chris would walk up and like, you know, like he would bring me like, you know, like he would walk up to my booth and he would bring me like a Buddha's hand. He's like and then he would like talk about like doing something with the Buddha hand, Buddha's hand and, and, you know, can we candy this and crystallize it? And we'd stand there and he'd have a knife with him or something. He'd cut it up and, you know, and people are standing around looking at us like we're crazy. But, you know. Yeah, like I'm de- the, the worst part was is I was deterring people from buying chocolate because I was in the way. And we were sitting there mucking about with right. anything I could get my hands on because we it was. But we were excited about food. It was a it was the first time for me that I after moving here that I could actually sit down and have a conversation, a collective. It was like a brain collective. Like you and I would dissect things. It's like, what do you have to do? Do we have? Because for those of you who don't know Buddha's hand citron, it literally it looks like a yellow octopus. Yeah. With no fruit inside it's all pith the white so flavorful super flavorful and you guys all know it as citron vodka right that's that aroma you get and i wanted to figure i mean i shaved it raw but what we figured out was is that was what they were putting in panettone and that was the candy that they were making all throughout italy but what other ways could we use it right i mean we were eating it you know pickled we tried it i mean i would bring it back to the restaurant and it'd be like 
you know, Michael would stop by the next day. It would be pickled, candied, sautéed, grated. I mean, we had it. God, there was one day we tried one thing like yeah. 14 ways. Yeah, and I, that was great for me. And I, it was fun. I And, and hopefully it was fun for you because mm-hmm. I didn't know. Like I had nobody to bounce ideas off. Yeah, I mean, we exchanged. I mean, we spent a lot of time exchanging ideas. I've, you know, I've been to, you know, Encanto, the restaurant that Chris had for for many years. He had that restaurant. And we would just like have special dinners and he would invite me over for special dinners and we would just play around or if it was like, look at his baking program and we would do whatever with his baking program. So it wasn't, you know, even though I have a strong chocolate background, I'm very passionate about savory and I'm always been passionate about baking. Um, But chocolate has definitely been the focus for the last 20, I hate to say it, 24 years. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Yeah. It's since 97. Well, what's amazing is, is, you know, Michael came, we did the launch for uh, A Devil in the Kitchen, which was Marco Pierre White's biography. And Michael came and did the the dessert for that. But we were all terrified. We, we thought, were terrified. We thought that we thought we were going to get our heads chopped off or something. We had no <laughs> idea like like how Marco was going to behave around us. And he was like an absolute gentleman. He was like... It was so was funny hanging out with him, going out with him for dinner that night yeah. after. But him laughing... And looking at me in the face and saying, oh, I remember you. I told you to fuck off and slam the door in your face when you tried to stash at Arby's. <laughs> and we all just were like, yes, Marco. Yes, that chef. Was, that yes, was chef. Me. That was me. Yeah. yeah. And he threw a guest out that night. Remember the guy that yeah. said he wanted his squab well done and Marco told him to fuck off. And yeah, it was an interesting evening. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good. We, yeah, we had a good time. So. We had, I mean, but Michael and I have always done stuff like that. And I think, you know, that's why... I had that big block of, sh- of ice on the counter at the bar. Yeah. And I shaved it with like an old like wood plane. That's right. And we did like a shave ice thing. And then we did like a plate of dessert. And then we did like, I, I think I helped it with like a little amuse or something. But it was cool because I think Chris and I just always kind of like, we bounce around ideas. We're a little, they don't seem really reachable and like formulated, but then we, We've, we've done enough stuff. We've worked in enough places where we know how things work. And we're like, well, we're just going to try it. The hell, you know, it's fuck it. It's going to work. And I feel pretty fortunate. We, I can say that we have, we haven't had and a flop. Some, yeah. We've had a few like, you know, like, oh my oh, God, shit. this is going to get we're shitty. Gonna change, we're <laughs> going to change this. But yeah, but you know, hard left, hard left. Or not like, right. <laughs> or like, you know, he's on the line. He's like, Michael, you got to help me on the line. Come on here. He's like, he's like, you know, throwing sautés pans at me. He goes, okay, put it on the plate like this. You know? So it was just always exciting being there because it was, it was like, you know, I was doing something, but then, it, you know, I didn't have any problem interacting in other ways, you know, or plating desserts or whatever. So I think that's part of a, the thing that's always been super fun is like, we grew up a very different way in that, we grew up very similarly, but in a different way to most folks. You know, food was always part of our background growing up, both Italian-Americans. You know, having that, you know, connectivity, working, you know, picking vegetables, growing up around that really kind of, it just made it like natural. So it wasn't like we can't walk into each other's situation and help each other intelligently. It'd be like, all right, Michael, tell me what to do. I'll do it, whatever, however you need right. me to do it as much as you need. You know, and yeah. I think that's what's great. It's like, okay, show me. Okay, I got you. That's what I've always loved. And it's like you and I may not always get to hang out, but it's, it's never missing a beat. Right. 
Right. Yeah. It's kind of like wherever we left off, we can pick up again, you know, and that's usually it's cool when you like have friends like that in your life or just like people that you've worked with that you kind of like you have the same attitude towards food, towards like just day to day stuff. You know, so it's, I mean, you know, that's what makes it fun. Chris is pretty wacky, but so am I. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that like, you know, we the wackiness together, we come up with good ideas. And yeah. so like you started with the box. Then you've got the key lime pears. Yeah. And it just kept growing. I mean, you've done. I mean, people were just really, we saw that there was an interest. So, you know, Jackie and I started thinking about like, what's the next eight piece box? And so we came up with the next eight piece box. And then from there, uh, I mean, Jackie was always good. She was always pushing like creatively to like, like how, how, what's the concept of the business? How are we, what are we doing? How are we doing it? and really being paying attention to a brand. And so it's like, okay, so we have the two eight-piece boxes. Why don't we do like a 16-piece boxes, which is the two eight-piece boxes, which turned out to be the black box. And then, you know, we started doing things like pâte de like fruit jellies. Those and, are my And dragées. And we were doing like dragées before every, any chocolatier in the States was really doing dragées just because I've been around them for so long. And uh, I love I got I really, more samples I really, of dragees from really you. You've got you've got some in your bag there. When he yeah. was when Michael was doing testing of dragee, he's like, dude, it's too hot. No, it was like, hey, Chris, try this. It would be like Here's little bags. It was little bags with different numbers. Which one of these do you like? Yeah. And then he was like, oh, by the way, here's all the ones I don't like. It was literally like a pail. Like well, I give you like a trimaline bucket or yeah, like a, a, a glucose bucket. Oh my you god! Know, blue the blue bucket was packed like, like with five I, pounds. I was like, oh dear lord, I'm going to explode. Yeah, <laughs> but you can't stop once you started. It. Right. It's like so I know, delicious. It's like good. Like you coat it with a really good product. So, so that was like a big thing. We we were really we were trying to like be ahead of like like old world techniques and and introduce them into the U.S. And now. It's difficult because everybody's, you know, everybody's doing that. And there's a lot of written material. There's a lot of machines. There's a lot of small machines out there. People are traveled you know? now. People are traveling more. They have access. Like we talked about, you did it before. Right. And they see it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's definitely more, it's definitely more challenging, but you know, we're, you know, we're, I really feel like we're re kind of reinventing ourselves. Um, this feels like a really great year. Jackie and I are really going to like look at what we're doing and how we're doing it and just do it better. Just never, never, you never look back. You, you always kind of think about like, what's the next best thing. It might not be like a new product, but in order to have room for a new product, we have to do all the stuff we do more efficiently. So that's what we talked about previously. So just like, and I see that you do that as well. You know, it's like, all right, try. Yeah, trying. It's hard. It's, it's difficult, hard. but um, you know, so we're uh, you know we're still going. Now we have like a much larger line of product. We have two stores. We have one in the Ferry Building and we have one in Dog Patch. And then you went from four hundred and fifty square feet to eighteen thousand square feet. You have a huge online space. presence. We and we have a strong online presence. So it's just it's just managing all of these different parts. But then how do you kind of keep fresh and that's i think a really good good question i mean i i question that of myself all the time like how do you like you've brought in amazing chocolate painters right right you've done that you you know you do beautiful decorated chocolate eggs you've done the artist series in san francisco where you work with a local sf artist to do 
really cool works on the chocolates. Um, I mean, there's so many cool things. You've done charity chocolates. You've done really cool stuff that's really making people's, not only eyes gravitate towards what you're doing, but also flavors that are just really special. And I think that's what makes it fun. And, and it's like, you know, I remember, you know, you go to Europe, you come back and you're like, dude, look what I found. And it's like, right. you bring me these big rubber aprons that looks like I'm, I'm uh, the, the white rubber aprons that are meant to wipe chocolate off. Right, you right. brought me back those to yeah. use for butchery so I don't get blood all over. And it's just like all these things. It's like your travels. You come back with all new, fresh ideas and you're just like running. You yeah. know, you do Valrona school, right? So, I mean, I have a really great, you know, currently, you know, for the for a while, I have a strong, very strong relationship with Valrona. You know, I was like one of their original ambassadors. And the other thing that's really cool about Verona, I, I did the, I did their first, I was the one that did their first custom blends in the United States. So I actually have two custom blends. I have a 64% semi-sweet and then I have a 45% milk. So there's those two custom blends that have, uh, you know, really, you know, really kind of set us apart because it's chocolates that we actually, so I would go to France and like have a sensory evaluation of cacao beans with the scientists in the Valrona team to determine which chocolates I like, which then again, then would be made into, you know, a chocolate that was our signature blend that wasn't available to anyone else. So I'm not making chocolate. I'm not a bean to bar guy. I think that's a separate business, but um, at least I get a little bit more involved with fine tuning and customizing like my flavor profiles um, and not just buying stuff um, but, you know, I still buy a lot of different types of products. You know, we mix it up. But runners are, you know, you know, a key, key person. And they do things like they send me to France for like a three day biology course to learn about sugar and like cream and emulsification. And, and then we spend like one day in Paris with Patrick Roger, who's like, you know, it's like who's like this person that we never thought we could even get close to. Patrick Roger is like this very unique chocolatier in, San, in in Paris that makes all these, he's a, he does all these beautiful sculptures and makes beautiful bonbons and he has an amazing facility. And so he he's a very kind of private person. So for a, like a team of like 12 people to go there and like hang out with him for the day was really cool. Uh, you know, he like hung out with us the whole day. We got to go walk through his whole factory and he didn't care if we took pictures of anything He's like, that's rare. He's like, that's do whatever really you want. He goes, I don't care. He's like, just enjoy yourself. Have fun. Yeah. And he was like, you ask him a question, he'd answer it. And, and I, you bring your bike. You have your Brompton, right? You get your little foldable bike that you brought with you to Paris. Right. And you rode around. Right. I ride, we ride to the classes. I ride everywhere. When I when we go to the Rhone Valley, which is Val, where Valrona is located in the, in the south of France, in the Rhone Valley. I would bring my bike on the TJV and then like, you know, I would just like bicycle around, like go r ride on the Rhone for like a couple hours before we had the class because the classes were long. They were like seven, eight hours, you know, of, of like talking about sugar, talking about cream, talking about emulsification. And so Valrhona has been very supportive of just kind of keeping, keep making sure people work smarter and understand product and how to work better. And so they've been a really cool, it's been a cool relationship. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I really feel honored, you know, that I was able to do that. I mean, it's more than just plugging. I don't feel like it's like you're plugging them or they're plugging me. It's kind of like they put up with what I need to do. And if I'm like not certain how to do something, they like help me figure it out. 
And, you know, aside from like, oh, we're just trying to sell you as much product as possible. It's like, hey, could like, you you know, like if I don't understand something, like, well, you could go to our school in France or maybe Brooklyn and work with the team there and we'll like help you out. You know, so we'll do stuff like that. So it's like basically. It's a relationship. It's a, you know? it's a longstanding relationship. Yeah. But it's, I mean, isn't that what it's supposed to be? It should. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I think with your if you have vendors or people that you work with, um, you want to have this like really good relationship, like the people we buy our boxes from. They're local. You know, we could buy boxes elsewhere and give them much cheaper. There's very little stand up box makers in the United States. So we could go to China and get the boxes for like much less. But, you know, we we try to be loyal to the people that have been helping us like get a leg up. You know, so I try not to switch purveyors unless something goes south or they don't carry a product anymore. I have to go find it someplace else. But I, I'm very loyal to um, people that, you know, help me out. I mean, that's, that's, I think, a really important part because they're there from the beginning when it's tough. And then times change. And if they're always there for you, it's, just, it's consistency yeah. and for like everybody. If you, if you can't, you know, if you're having, you know, it's like if you're having difficulty paying a bill, you know, the one thing I learned from, you know, suppliers are like if you call them up and say, hey, listen, you know, I really can't pay you this week versus like, oh, the checks in the mail or, oh, I didn't see that invoice. You know, they, they, they don't want to hear they know that, that bullshit. They so want to know the truth. Yeah. You just you just you call them up. You say, I can't pay you. Can I pay you next week? And they're like so cool about it versus like if you just wind them up and do stuff. And, you know, that's why people get cut off. You know, because they don't like we all know what's going on and we know it's a really difficult business, but we all just we're, we're trying to make it happen. You know, needs to be a lot of you're support doing a lot here. Other. You're yeah. making you're always making a lot of changes. Uh, we're looking at a lot of changes. We're looking at trying to reset our brand, you know, as far as just some some looks and feels. And, you know, Jack, so that's a big project that Jackie's going to be working on. So we don't really know where that's going, but it's 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 exciting. You know, we don't want to just stay in one place. You know, we want to kind of evolve. Well, they How mean, do we evolve? That's a perfect thing. I mean, it's like we, the city's evolved, right? San Francisco's evolved dramatically. Yeah. In the time that we've gotten here. Yes. I mean, from the time that you were here, left, and came back, it evolved. Absolutely. From Vermont. But I mean, look at the difference from the time that you and I have, been, have known each other. It's crazy different. And yeah. I think growing and understanding and evolving with the city is really key, but also staying true to yourself and what your customers are looking for and that experience. I mean, we're here for the guest. That right. smile that they get when they put that chocolate in their mouth is like, it's pretty powerful, right? Like that's a very olfactory sense. Mm -hmm. Chocolate is very powerful. I mean, every kid, <laughs> let's be honest, right. kids go crazy for chocolate, but that sticks with you forever. Right. I mean, that was what my experience was when I first tasted chocolate. Like I think, like real chocolate, you know, like I was like chopping up like big, like Nestle's bars, the Gibraltar, the monogram, whatever they were. They're were like these 11 pound bars. I'm like, oh, this is great chocolate. And like, I just thought there was like milk, dark and white chocolate. I didn't, and like hundred percent. But then like all of a sudden I started tasting like origin chocolates and, you know, different percentage chocolates and different percent. And you're like, it just opens up this whole new, it opened up this whole new world of like, wow, this is fascinating. Like, I had no idea this existed. The nuances and the flavors are unreal. Yeah, the colors, the flavors. The I mean, there's so much that I've learned about it from you, and you're like, hey. And then you, you know me well enough to know you're like, you're going to like this one. 
you know, you like, you've always guided me in those like, okay, here's this flavor with this profile. You're going to dig this one. And I instantly, it's like, how do I incorporate that into something savory? Right. And that's what makes well, it you've fun. Tried, you've done that. You know, and I love doing yeah. those things and it's, yeah. that's what makes it fun. That's the best part about this business is forever learning. I mean, there's so much to learn. Chocolate's evolving, you know, every day, right? People are talking about the new, the, how to the blend the flavors better, how to work with them, how to pair them, how to get right. more nuances. Chocolate is like wine in my mind. There's so many nuances to it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, fermentation, roasting, all that stuff. You know, it's really interesting. You know, Valrona would send us to like, send me to Peru to go to origin to look at like, a really rare bean that they found called Gran Blanco, which is like also called porcelana in like Venezuela, which is a white bean that was really rare. They thought they lost it. And then like they thought the genetics were gone. And then like they found one in the jungle and they're like, holy cow, this bean, I thought this, I thought, where did you come from? It's great to see you. <laughs> and so then they like worked with the locals there, the farmers to um, start planting it and, and growing it. And it's like a 10 year project. And now it's come to fruition. They, they help them with schooling, water programs, water irrigation programs, all these things for their, their lifestyle as well. Not just, not just for them to make grow cacao and sell it to them. They did, they, they like looked at the whole how these people live. That's amazing. And I think a lot of people need to know that too. Like Valron is giving back to these people in a bigger way. Yeah. It's like building schools, building things for them just to sustain themselves, not just grow chocolate. For them. Right. Absolutely. So that's been really, that's been really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's next? What's next on the, on the horizon on the horizon guys, for you guys you know we you know we want to we want to look at you know, kind of building a few new flavors we're looking at kind of change we're looking at changing some of our uh bars um and playing around with that but um and then we're looking at resetting some of our you know kind of packaging concepts you know if it's like you know the look and feel the color the you know whatever that palette is but that has to that's like a long project but we'll start working on that as well. And, um, you know, we also did things like we we uh, we put in, we installed video screens in our store in the ferry building. Um, and I never I was really opposed to that kind of thing, like having video screens up. But there are these big, you know, high definition screens. But people will walk into our store and they think it was like a jewelry shop or something like, what is this jewelry? I'm like, no, it's chocolate, you know, whatever. The staff would always have to tell them like what's going on because it, it's such a like a different type of look. But it's a very if the people would go in the shops in Europe, they would understand it. But people that don't tourists that don't that live in the States that might live in the middle of the country or whatever, they just don't know what that is. Well, they know the Hershey store in the middle of uh, Times Square, which is like bars yeah. of chocolate and the M&M dudes running around. Exactly. Like so you know it's educating them and so by having the screens up we have like pictures of 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 our team making chocolate we have like uh really beautiful visuals so they see that this chocolate so when they when they walk in they can see that there's something happening there so that was a really cool thing to do and it's like an educational piece and we're also thinking of maybe at some point having a live feed into our kitchen so like there could be times where we're running the rover because you can just change it on your phone you can click on it's like hey let's show them Show what's happening. So we're going to see a video of you going through the chocolate and rope. Exactly. Right. Michael comes out on the other side. They're completely. dunking me in like the big, you know, <laughs> thousand pound melter or something. But um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think I'm spending a lot more time with the team and um, working on systems, tweaking it 
and then just kind of making things better. That's awesome. Know? I think that's it's, that's the important thing, you know, and then evolving the line, you know, a little bit here and there. But that's still, great. we got. I think it's, in order to evolve the line, we got to like figure out what we're doing with what we are we currently do, and can we do it better or more efficiently? So I do rapid fire. I'm sure you've you've heard rapid fire questions. Have you have you heard that part in the podcast yet? I don't think so. Oh, so, okay, okay. So, um, so if, well, first off, if folks want to get chocolate that are not in the Bay Area, they can go online, right? Yes, and. Uh, you guys try to be really safe in the summertime and you do certain types of shipping in the summer so the chocolates don't melt. We, yeah, we ship on, you know, ice pack priority overnight. Okay, so, so if you guys are interested, uh, you know, I am I could eat pounds of the Dragade gear, trust me, and the Pâté de Fouille and everything that Michael does. I'm, I'm not a big sweet guy, but, you know, it's really funny. I can- They're s- less sweet. Yeah, yeah, I can sit in Michael's shop for hours. I've been actually, the ladies have asked me to stop sampling because I just keep going. <laughs> I try that one. It's just easier to go and go watch Michael and eat off the line. <laughs> Jackie chases me out of that too. But uh, make sure you guys go online, take a look. If not, go in the ferry building, see what Michael's doing down there. Um, super stunning shop. The design is beautiful. And they're, they're always rotating in, like I said earlier, uh, really cool. Like whether it's an artist theme, the Valentine's Day was really beautiful down there. Then there's also Easter coming up, which is the really cool eggs. Are right. you doing the eggs again this year? We're going to do a very, vari- yeah, we're going to do a variation of those. Yeah, the eggs. And I'm going to do, I've been trying to do sculpts, uh, show pieces or sculptures relating to what we're doing each holiday. So we're just getting ready to, you know, install this one because uh, for valentine's it's called chemistry of the heart that's like the 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 philosophy so it's like you know there's like test tubes and things happening and flasks but they have like little hearts coming out of them and whatever that are printed under the chocolate so we're gonna i'm gonna do like a big piece that looks like a picture frame with all these little images in it so we try to like trying to connect the dots to like what we're doing and if we do something that's like larger and showy it connects to the pieces that's happening as, as opposed to being a complete disconnect. That's awesome. It's like, it's like something, you know, you know, something completely different. It's like, what does that, what does that mean? You know? You know so we're, perfect we're mother's day in. gift too. Think about that. Perfect mother's day gift order in advance. They get busy. It's good. So, all right. We're going to, I just go really quick, right? Coffee or tea? Coffee. Red or white? White. Champagne, rosé. Champagne. Wait. <laughs> Some no, people. No, wait. You said champagne rose. Champagne like or rose. Champagne or rose. Oh, okay. Uh, rose. Either one. Either yeah. one. There's no wrong answer. Oh, okay. I've had people say both. <laughs> oh, okay. Tequila or bourbon? Bourbon. Interesting. Chocolate or fruit when you have dessert? Fruit and chocolate. Both, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's um, tough, right? Yeah, yeah. Ice cream or gelato? Ice cream in the States. Gelato when I'm traveling, like in Italy. Hamburger or a hot dog? Hamburger. Mustard or ketchup? Uh, ketchup. Ooh. <laughs> I, you, weren't, you, you weren't too impressed by that, were you? <laughs> no. I don't <laughs> like ketchup. I never have. Uh, but that's just me. Um, French fries, onion rings. French fries. Okay. Nigiri, sashimi. 
sashimi, caviar, sea urchin. Caviar. That's a tough one. Yeah. Well, sea urchin kind of freaks me out. You Why? Know? I don't know. Like, it has to be really fresh and clean and good. Um, I think I've had some that are really funky, and I just, like, get the gag, ref gag reflex on it. It's but, not um, happening. Like, that, the, the, the sea urchins in Santa Barbara, whatever, whoever that is. Yeah. That, yeah, that stuff's, like, they get that little wooden box of that. That's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, for sure. It just tastes really fresh, and it's so... But I don't know enough about sea urchin to like kind of talk about it's it. It's tough. I mean, it's a tough. I think there's some that are really sweet. There's some that can be bitter. Um, it just depends on when, where, how. Like people swear by the Hokkaido, and then there's other people who swear about Santa Barbara, and there's some people that swear about other. I mean, everywhere. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's all different styles, and I think it's kind of cool when you can taste them next to each other. Then well, you kind of see. Well, it's like the terroir of the sea, right? I yeah. mean, it's where you pull it, where you're pulling it from. For sure. Yeah. Sure, I totally agree with yeah. that. So, yeah, Michael, thank you. That's it, dude. You're welcome. Super thank fun. Thank you. This is great. I mean, what an excuse for us to hang out. I know, exactly. You know, like we never get to see each other. So I like pedal down here to like do this little podcast. And <laughs> hopefully this will like unravel some more times that we can like oh, yeah. collaborate together and do something. Like, That's there's a couple things coming up that actually we'll talk about. Yeah. Offline. Yes. So nobody knows what's going on. It's a secret, secret, secret conversation. Welcome to Secrets with Michael Ricudi and Chris Cosentino. Up next. <laughs> <laughs> shh, shh. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome.